You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at harvestniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. Well, good morning, church. Welcome here. And uh, it is truly a joy to be able to open God's word with you this morning. I hope uh, you have already been as blessed as I have been. I'm just through the worship this morning of just the Lord shining his grace into your life. I know he's been doing that in mine in both services, the first and the second. Um, For those of you that I don't know, my name is Brett Patterson and I am the uh, pastor of discipleship here at Harvest Niagara. And uh, today, I get the privilege of opening God's word um, with you in our second sermon in our Christmas series uh, about the presence of God. And this sermon is, is uh, a sermon about joy. It's a sermon called, His Presence Brings Inexpressible Joy. And so I want to invite you right now, right off the top, if you have your Bible with you, go ahead and open it up to 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, we're going to look at two verses there, verses 8 and 9 this morning. If you don't have a Bible, we've got ushers that are eager and coming down the aisle. Just put your hand up high, okay, real high, keep it up, and uh, they will get one to you, and we say this often. If you don't have a Bible at home, please take it. It is our early Christmas present to you. Be ba- blessed by it as you read this Christmas season. So while you're turning, let me just uh, start off with a question for you, a question that was really pressed into me kind of in a new way this week. Um, not too profound of a question maybe at first, but um, let's just see. Who's ready for Christmas? Okay, well, the, it, it, <laughs> you guys are just as weak as the first service. That's okay, though, because, because honestly, how do you take that question? Okay, I, I know that a few hands went up here. We got one little woo and a right here and a mumble over there somewhere, and I think all of this kind of just shows us that, you know, that question, who's ready for Christmas, is, it's, it's a hard question. There's different levels to it. Are we ever truly ready for Christmas? I know uh, that question was pressed into my heart in a new way this week, in of all places, the Wendy's drive through um, as I pulled up to the window and the lady asked me, are you ready for Christmas? And so before any of you foodies are judging me too much, um, you can imagine that I was there if you want, if it makes you feel better to buy a salad, of course, okay? Um, so while I'm there at the Wendy's drive through the lady asked me, uh, are you ready for Christmas? And I looked at her and I said, no. And she kind of looked oddly back at me and I said, not yet, but I will be and it's going to be here soon. And As I drove away, I realized that she was likely asking me the question on a material level. Am I ready? Do I have all my presents and everything in order for Christmas? To which I do not, okay? And that was my response on a material level, but as I started to drive away, the Lord started to press that question a lot deeper into my own heart and just sensing, Brett, are you really ready for Christmas this year? Are you really ready to celebrate my coming my presence? Is your heart really experiencing the joy that it should be experiencing in relation to the fact that I am Emmanuel, God with us? And I drove away from there thinking, no, I'm, I'm not ready for Christmas. I'm even less ready for Christmas 
than I thought I was when I said no. I, I'm not, and so I just drove away and started to say, Lord, would you help me to get ready? And you know, the Lord is faithful, I believe, to the, even those little prayers that we throw up. And uh, I just have to be totally honest with you right now, from kind of that point on in the week, the week in a lot of ways went downhill. I, it, I can be honest with you and say that this is uh, one of the harder weeks that I've ever experienced in ministry. Um, and it, this is a hard season overall for us as a church, um, but God was faithful in that. And even during this hard week, the Lord was pressing something into my own heart that I wasn't going to get if circumstances were comfortable and easy. He was pressing joy into my heart, true joy. And I think I can easily say that, you know, if I were to pick any sermon topic for this week, it would not be joy. That would not be the topic that I would pick. Um, and so as we broke down this Christmas series, about three weeks ago, it landed that I was going to be speaking on joy this week, and this is not the week that I would pick to speak on joy, but as always in everything, the Lord knows best. And I think this week the Lord's been teaching me something that I really needed to learn again in a fresh way, and I, I hope and I pray that the Lord will do that among us this morning, that when we talk about joy this morning, it just won't be a distant, trivial thing that it will be a reality for us, a depth of joy that can only be found in the presence of Jesus Christ. I, I pray that the Lord would lead us there. We're gonna pray together in just a minute, but as you've opened your Bibles, we should be in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses eight and nine uh, this morning. Let me just read that, and then we'll pray together that the Lord would press these things deep into our hearts this morning. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses eight and nine. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, it is truly a joy to bow in your presence to bow our heads and to know that the God of heaven, the God who spoke all things into being right now hears our prayers and is sensitive to them and will intercede on our behalf. That is a joy to know that, Lord. And God, we know that that is only possible, only available to us because of the presence of your son, Jesus Christ, and his finished work on the cross. And so, Lord, as we dig into this topic of joy and the presence of Christ in our lives this morning, God, would you lead us not to a place of routine on this, God, but would you lead us to a place of depth that is truly honoring to you, Lord? Would you help us to truly experience and to know the joy of Christ which surpasses knowledge, the joy of Christ that is inexpressible and full of glory? God, we are powerless to do this in and of ourselves, Lord. We need you. So Lord, would you meet us here through your Holy Spirit? Would you lead us during this time, Lord? Speak to us through your word, we pray in the name of Jesus, amen. Amen, amen. As we start into this message this morning, I think it's appropriate um, to kind of summarize what the Bible teaches on joy as a whole. And also, since we're in 1 Peter this morning, I think it's important that we understand some of the context around 1 Peter. So let's just take a minute before we dive right in to catch these two things. And so first of all, if, if we look at the theme of joy throughout Scripture, 
You know, it is a pretty major theme in the Bible. Let me just set that up for you by telling you this. It's a major theme because the word joy is used in the Bible over 200 times. Wow, that's a lot, that's significant. Now the word rejoice is also used over 200 times. So between the word joy and the word rejoice, we have over 400 uses of that word, those two words in the Bible. That's quite a bit. But not only that, as we come through the Old Testament and we, we get a picture of what joy is, that joy is intensified as we come to the New Testament. As we come to the New Testament, we don't just hear of joy, but we hear of great joy. And that great joy that we hear of and that we even heard of this morning is always in the New Testament related to Jesus Christ. Always. When we hear of great joy in the New Testament, it either speaks of Christ coming into the world or it speaks of Christ's resurrection from the dead or of the gospel coming to a group of people that had never heard it before always related to the person of Jesus Christ. So we have joy, we have great joy, but then in this passage, if you look at the words, believers, those who trust in Christ, have inexpressible joy that is filled with glory. Just think about that phrase for a second. Look at these verses again. Though you have not seen him, you love him, speaking of Jesus. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Who wants to know more about what that means? Who wants to experience more of that joy that is inexpressible and full of glory? I know I do, and I I hope that this morning as we unpack this together, as we look at this passage, that the Lord will give us a taste of what that really is. Listen. Christmas is not just normal joy. Christmas, the Gospels say, is great joy. The the Christmas story of the coming of Christ, his presence, the incarnation, is great joy. And because of his presence, we can have inexpressible joy that is filled with glory. Let's begin to unpack that a little bit this morning. And let's do that by looking at the book of 1 Peter and talking about who it is written to. So this book of 1 Peter, we have to remember is, when we come to a passage of the Bible, we've got to ask some very important questions about it, don't we? We don't just pull a verse out of the Bible and take it out of its context to mean whatever we want. It was written, 1 Peter was written to a specific group of people with them in mind. Now these people, they were actually going through a really rough and hard time in their faith not because of their own sin or struggles, but because of persecution. So Peter is writing to a group of people that are being persecuted for the name of Jesus Christ. So he's not writing to some Christians that are in rosy, easy circumstances. He is writing to people that are suffering. They're suffering under oppression from rulers and from other people around them, and they are being persecuted. And persecuted here for these people in this book doesn't just mean that some people were saying mean things about them. The people in this book, they were, they were not only having mean things said about them, not only being cast out of society, but they were actually being imprisoned, they were being beaten, they were having their possessions taken out into the street, and burned, they were having their possessions looted, their houses were being seized. 
They're enduring a lot for Jesus Christ. But notice, notice what it says. Notice what these people are experiencing even in the midst of such persecution. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. How's that possible? How is it possible to be in the midst of some of the most difficult circumstances life can throw at you, yet experience a joy that is inexpressible and full of glory? How's that possible? I wanna know how that's possible. I wanna know what that looks like this morning And I believe that's where we're going. I pray that the Lord would lead us there as we dig into this this morning. So first of all, we've gotta know this as we approach this passage, as we approach this subject of joy at the presence of Christ. We need to know this together. We need to know that my joy and your joy is not based on circumstances. This is the first point in our message right here. My joy is not based on circumstances, situations, or feelings, but on the finished work of Jesus Christ. We've gotta get that. We have to get this, okay? So let me just say it again. My joy, your joy, if you're a believer in Christ, is not based on circumstances, situations, or feelings, but on the finished work of Jesus Christ. That means that our joy transcends our circumstances. It's over and above and beyond anything that our circumstances can throw at us. The foundation of joy is faith in Christ's accomplishments, not my feelings in a situation. So often we, we long for situational happiness, don't we? I do. I'm the only one. Strange observation. The 11.15 service is much quieter than the 9 o'clock service, so we can change that right now, okay? So often, don't we just long for situational happiness? Yes, oh, there we go, okay, you are alive, good, good. Okay, I long, I long for these things. I think, you know, to myself, my life will be so much better when I ha- I'm done much more construction stuff on my house, okay? Then I'll have more time and to do other things. My life will be so much better when my kids obey me. <laughs> my life will be so much better when my car, um, when my engine gets fixed. My life will be so much better when I, you fill in the blank, when I don't have this sickness, when I don't feel this, when this happens. We try to base our happiness on situational things. And then what happens? Well, life happens, and we end up not finding joy because it's based on the wrong things. It's based on situations, circumstances, based on feelings. But listen, joy in Jesus Christ transcends all of those situational things. It goes over, above, and beyond all of those things. Joy is not based on experience. Notice this in the text. Okay, notice this right in the passage. The joy of these believers in 1 Peter is not based on experience. Notice what it says, verse eight. Though you have not seen him, you love him. These people did not see Jesus Christ. They did not walk with Jesus Christ in the physical sense. But though they did not see him, though they did did not experience his physical presence there with them, they are experiencing his presence. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and full of glory. 
We need to get this. We need to understand that joy is not based on our circumstances and our situations. It's based on the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Listen, we, we get this when we start to look into a book like 1 Peter and we realize all of the difficulty and the suffering that these people are facing. Hebrews actually describes the, the, the persecution and the torture that was happening during the first century. Listen to what it says. It says, but recall the former days when you, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with suffering, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those who were so treated. For you had compassion on those who were in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Listen, joy is not based on our circumstances, our situations or our feelings. We need to press down on this. We need to consider this. This morning, I I wanna say this with love. I wanna say this with sincerity this morning and with grace and with truth. There's a lot of hard things happening in our church right now. If, If I were to try and count, I think I would run out of fingers. There's a lot. And right now in this room, there are people that are enduring so much. Right now here in this place, there are parents whose, whose kids don't come home, whose kids are not only dishonoring the Lord in the way that they are walking, but they are putting their own lives in physical danger. And more than that, they are on their way to an eternity separated from the Lord Jesus Christ. That's one. In this room right now, there is cancer that is spreading like wildfire through people's bodies. Right now, in this, in this church, there are marriages that are in free fall. There are situations that seem hopeless apart from the Lord. And I want to say what I'm about to say with with love and with sincerity, and I want you to hear it that way. If you're in one of those situations right now, I'm not claiming to understand everything that you're going through. If I were to share my deepest struggles with you right now, the things I am struggling with and wrestling with would be laughable compared to some of the things that some of you are going but I want to say this with love. So please listen. Your situation, though it is significant, it's not determinative. Your situation, though it is hard, it's not God. Your feelings, though they are extreme, are not God. They're not God. God is God. God is still on the throne. God is still in control. God is still today who he was yesterday. And listen, our feelings in struggles like these, they're a response to what we perceive as being reality, but ultimately, God is the ultimate reality and he is worthy of our worship in the darkest, hardest days. Do you believe that's true? God is still God when things are good. 
God is still God when things are hard. God loves you when things are good. God loves you when things are hard. God is gracious when things are good. God is gracious when things are hard. We need to believe that. We need to trust that. And we need to trust that even in the darkest days, God is still God and he is still ultimately in control. He is still there. Why do we need to believe that? We need to believe that because otherwise our joy will become tied to situational things. And as our joy gets tied to situational things, it will crumble. If our joy is not based on the person of Jesus Christ, on his work, our joy does not have a foundation And if our joy does not have a foundation, our joy will not stand up and it will diminish and it will be gone. And listen, the scripture is pretty clear about how devastating a lack of joy can be in our lives. Deuteronomy 28, 47 through 48. I just want to share this passage with you. Scripture is clear in warning against a lack of joy in our lives. Let me read it. It is It is a hard portion, but let me read it to you. Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart because of the abundance of all things, therefore you shall serve your enemies whom the Lord will send against you in hunger and thirst, in nakedness and lack of everything. And he will put a yoke of iron on your neck until he has destroyed you. Listen, This passage this morning was written to a literal people that existed in a literal time. It was written to the people of Israel and it was actually speaking of the consequences of what would happen to the people of Israel if they chose not to love and worship the Lord their God above everything else. And if we go back and we look at the history of the people of Israel, we will see that this in fact came upon them. They did not cherish the Lord. They did not love the Lord. They did not serve him with joyfulness. And what happened? Their cities were laid waste. They were carried off into captivity. They were taken out of the promised land. They were removed from the land that the Lord had given them. Now listen, this physically happened to the people of Israel, but there is a spiritual picture, a parallel for us here. Listen, if we as believers in Christ will not serve the Lord with joyfulness, if we will not serve him with gladness of heart, if we will not find our joy in Jesus Christ, in his presence, then we will become slaves to our addictions, to our desires, to our lusts, and to the things of this world. Do we get that reality this morning? On the one hand, we have either we serve Jesus Christ and we love Jesus Christ and we find our joy and our contentment and our peace and our happiness in Jesus Christ, or over here on the other hand, we will seek it somewhere else in the things that will never satisfy us, in the things that this world has. Listen, church. The way that God has ordained things, we will be a slave to something. Either we will be a joyful servant of the living God or we will be a slave to our addictions, our desires, and the things of this world. That's the reality for us today. That is what is before us today. Listen, these things that we're talking about, these addictions, lusts, our anger, our emotions that are out of control, these things are ultimately the enemies of our souls. The devil wants to use those things to ensnare us, 
to entrap us, to rob us of finding joy in the presence of Jesus Christ. And so on one hand, we can either find our joy in Christ or we can lose our joy by seeking it in the wrong places. And so think about this for a second. Dwell on this for a second. Consider this for a moment. These these things that we run after that promise so much to us but deliver so little, they're the lying prophets of our generation, aren't they? They, they talk a big game, they promise so much that I'll, I'll give you this, I'll, you, you'll feel so much better. I, you know, just, just trust, just do this one more time. You'll feel better. And what happens? It's worse and worse. They're the lying prophets of our generation. They're the broken cisterns, as Jeremiah says, that can hold no water. They promise so much, they deliver so, litter, so little, yet we run to them. But listen, even worse than the fact that they don't deliver on the promises, even worse than that, they lead us away from the fountain of living water, Jesus Christ, the one who is the abundance of joy, the abundance of fullness, the one who says, come to me and I will give you rest. They lead us away from him. Listen, Jesus wants us as his people to have joy in him. He wants that reality in our lives. He says in John 15, verse 11, he says to his disciples, these things I have spoken to you that my joy, get that, just pause for a second there. Would we say that Jesus had full joy? Would we say that his joy tank was pretty empty or pretty full? Yeah, I'm gonna say pretty full because Hebrews tells us that he, for the joy that was set before him, he What did he do? He endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Okay, that's a pretty full joy tank, right? Okay, so hear this with fresh ears. Jesus said to his disciples, John 15, verse 11, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy, my full joy, okay, may be in you, and that your joy may be full. So listen, Jesus wants us to have full joy that is found in him because he is the source of eternal joy. All of these other things over here that offer happiness, okay, or joy are empty cisterns that can hold no water. Listen, we've got to make a distinction here, don't we? Okay, the, the happiness that the world tries to sell us through all of the marketing, through all of the advertising, through all of those things is ultimately situational attempts at happiness not joy. Joy is found in Jesus Christ, okay? Why? Because of his presence, his person, and his promises. Because of who he is, what he has done, and what he is yet to do. Let's get that. Because the more that we run after the situational happiness, the more empty we will be. The more that we run after and pursue Jesus Christ, the more full and satisfied in him we will be. So let's get this this morning. I want, I want us to see that, you know, when we talk about joy and we talk about his presence and we talk about everything that we're talking about in this series, that we're not just looking at one little place in history. We are tracing the theme throughout the whole Bible. We are covering the whole narrative of the Bible. And so, Lord willing, over last week, this week, and the, the two services yet to come, we will see how love relates to joy and how joy relates to hope and how hope relates to peace and how all of these things are found in the presence of Jesus Christ. 
Listen, that's where we're going. And this is why this is so important because if we don't find our joy in Christ, we will seek it somewhere else and that will be empty. And not only will that be empty, it will lead us away from the fountain of living water and ultimately will lead us to destruction. And we need to get that this morning. So let's press into this a little bit more. Let's look into this text a little bit more. Though you do not see him, you believe in him. That's us this morning, isn't it? We have not seen Jesus Christ physically, okay? But we believe in him. Though you have not seen him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. I wanna get that phrase. I wanna know what it means to have joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Don't you wanna understand that? I wanna understand it more than just in my head. I wanna understand it in my heart, in my experience as I walk through this life. Is that possible? Yes, I believe that is possible. Fully, no. That's reserved for glory. But, but yes, Jesus prayed that we would have full joy in him. We can experience that, and so let's talk about how that happens. Here's the second thing that we need to see this morning. Point number two in our message. I experience joy as I trust in the person, presence, and promises of Jesus Christ. This is the way that we experience joy. We don't experience joy when we pour ourselves out eating at the table of the world. We don't experience joy, but we experience joy as we trust, as we believe, as we have faith in the person, the presence, and the promises of Jesus Christ. Listen, the object of our faith is Christ. The outcome of our faith is salvation. Put those two together, okay? The object of our faith is Christ, who he is. The outcome of our faith is salvation, eternity, glory with the living God. Wow, right there, that should be a reason for joy, shouldn't it? Those two things, the object of our faith, the Son of God, his person. Let's talk about his person for a second. Who is Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is God come in the flesh. Scripture says that he is Emmanuel. He is God with us. He is the sinless, spotless Lamb of God who came into this world to lay his life down on the cross for sinners like you and me. But listen, that is all true, but there's more. He is the resurrected son of God who has triumphed over the grave, over sin, and over death, and he is also the returning son of God who will come again to take us to be with him in glory. That is awesome. Wow, the person of Christ. He is the object of our faith. He is what we focus on, okay? but also his presence, his presence. And, and this is very important for us this time of year, to pause and to remember that God Almighty stepped down into this world as a baby into a manger. That God became incarnate and he came to dwell with mankind. Wow. And that presence of Emmanuel, God with us, was not just for a short span of 33 years. That presence is for all time into all eternity. Do we get that? Do we understand that? That Christ is present with us here today. I know in the first service, the Lord just gripped my heart in a way that I just was not expecting during the worship time. 
which just reminded me of that fact that he is present, he is moving, he is working here in amazing ways. He's present with us. Listen, Jesus promised, he promised, I will never leave you or forsake you. Isn't that an incredible promise? We need to focus on the person of Christ, the presence of Christ, and the promises of Jesus Christ if we want to experience the fullness of joy in him. And he promised that he would never leave us or forsake us. That's an amazing promise about presence, isn't it? So good, so good. Well, maybe you're like, yeah, I know that one. And I've heard it lots of times before and it's not really doing it for me. Well, choose a different promise then, I guess. But before you choose a different promise, maybe check your heart on that one because the presence of Christ should always do it for us, shouldn't it? Okay, the fact that he is with us, that he will never leave us or forsake us. But if you want another promise, let me throw a couple at you. Matthew eleven twenty eight, Jesus said, come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Isn't that an awesome promise at this time of the year? We're all looking for rest at Christmas time, right? And do we ever really fully get it? I'm not sure, okay? But Jesus said, come unto me if you are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. And then the amazing thing about that promise is Jesus goes on in verse 29 to teach us how we receive that rest. And he says, he says, take my yoke upon you for it is easy. Learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly of spirit, and you will find rest for your souls. How awesome is that? Listen, that's not a prediction. That's not a hypothesis. That is a promise given by the Son of God, who is God incarnate. That is a faithful word to us. Or you could take John eleven twenty five, which says, Jesus said to his disciples, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. How awesome is that? Listen, believers, when, when they die physically, they immediately go to be with the Lord in glory. Do we get that? How amazing is that? A believer passes from this world physically and they are immediately with the Lord in glory. Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And that's where life truly starts, isn't it? To be fully alive, to be like Christ, in the presence of Christ, worshiping Christ. Let's get this notion of floating around heaven on a cloud, shooting arrows at random things out of our mind, okay? That is not what heaven is gonna be like. Heaven is going to be awesome because Jesus Christ is gonna be there and he's gonna be the focal point and we are not gonna have sin hindering us anymore. Wow, how awesome is that? What an amazing promise that the Lord gives us. But listen, if we're honest, we all know that there are things that come in and crush our joy, don't we? I just wanna highlight a few of these joy killers this morning. You know, there are things that squeeze in and crush our joy and attempt to suffocate the joy of Christ in us. And so here are a few, five, I believe, joy killers. We can put those up on the screen. So the joy killers, first one, first one I call it doo-doo theology. Why are you snickering? Oh, because I said doo-doo. Okay, okay. Doo-doo in the sense of 
I need to do, do, and do more in order for God to be pleased with me. Okay, so in that sense, it's, it's legalism, this idea, if I just do some more and just do some more and do some more, then God will look down on me and be happy with me and smile on me. It is the idea that if I work more at the things that God wants me to do, that somehow I will earn favor from him. It's the idea that, you know, the more I do, the more God will bless. And listen, this is, Legalism like this is, is in the church all over the place. Did we get that? Okay, it's, it's in the conservative church. It's in churches like ours. But also, this type of legalism, this type of doo-doo theology is, is rampant in the prosperity movement. But that whole movement is based on if you do these things, then God will shower his blessings upon you and your life will be easier and better. There's the prosperity gospel, okay? In a nutshell, with some more talk about Jesus and some bigger smiles from televangelists on TV. But really that whole a prosperity movement in a nutshell is all about situational happiness. That's all that it is. And so can you spot the lies there? It's all about do these things and God will be happy with you and he will pour out blessings on you in this life. That is, that is, that's doo-doo theology. I think we can just all be honest. Doo-doo theology really stinks doesn't it? It does. It does. Now I know why you're laughing. Well, the next ones are a little more serious, but ultimately um, that type of theology can really crush our joy, can't it? When we give in to that line of thinking. But this next one can also crush our joy. Self-glory seeking. Self-glory seeking, this is people pleasing. This is, I want everything to be all about me. I want people to look at me. I want people to applaud me. I want people to approve of me. I find my worth and my value in what people think and what people say about me. Self-glory seeking. That's a joy crusher. That is a joy killer. Why? Because all that we are looking for is situational happiness that is based on the circumstances of what people think and what people say and what people do. And if they stop thinking it, they stop saying it, they stop doing it, our happiness, our joy is crushed and emptied. And in fact, it's far worse than that. Jesus actually says about this that this is an impediment to actually believing in him and trusting him. John 5, 44, Jesus talking to the Pharisees he says to them, and the Pharisees were the kings of doo-doo theology and self-glory seeking, okay? They were the masters of it. And he said to the Pharisees, he said, how can you even believe? Meaning, you can't even truly have faith when you seek glory that comes from man and not the glory that comes from the only God. See how much of a joy crusher this is? The fact that if we pursue from others what only God can give us, the favor that we would, should be seeking from God, if we seek that from others, it will absolutely crush the joy right out of us. And not only that, it is a hindrance to our faith. Listen, here's another one. Bitterness. Bitterness. And just as a broad category, bitterness, resentment, anger, frustration, envy, jealousy, unforgiveness, these things, if we hang on to them, will crush the joy out of our lives. They're joy killers. All of these things are joy killers. 
But another one is also unsurrendered sorrow. Unsurrendered sorrow, the weight of living in a sinful world. Who experiences that weight daily? We do, don't we? People around us sin, and that sin bumps into us. There's sickness that's part of living in a sin-cursed world. There are diseases, there are things and tragedies that happen that is part of living in a world that is gripped by the curse, by sin. And if we don't surrender those things to the Lord, if we don't give that to the Lord continually, repeatedly, until he replaces it with peace and with joy, our joy will be seriously hindered and even crushed. And the last one is this. The last one is idolatry. Idolatry. What is idolatry? Idolatry is anything that rivals God for my affections. Anything that seeks to displace God from the throne of my heart is an idol. You can't have idols on the throne of your heart and God on the throne of your heart at the same time. God does not share his throne with idols. It doesn't work that way. And either God will be on the throne and you will be a servant of his that is filled with joy or else the idols will be on the throne and you will be a slave to them which is filled with brokenness and destruction. And maybe if you're here today and you're saying, all this joy talk about Jesus is great, I want that, I long for that, but there's something holding me back. I would just want you to consider this short quote by one of the Puritans, his name is Thomas Watson. And the Puritans had this great way of taking complex thoughts and putting it down into a small sentence. And he said this, he said this, until sin be bitter, Christ will not be sweet. Listen, are your idols bitter? in your life right now? Your sin, is it bitter to you right now? Do you hate it? Do you war against it? Do you seek to see it destroyed, crushed, and blown away because you know that it is ultimately one of the greatest enemies against your joy and satisfaction in Jesus Christ? Because until sin is bitter, Christ will not be sweet. And so if you've been over here just nibbling away at the table of the world, and then you pop into church on Sunday and you wonder, I don't know why all these people have their hands up and or why they're so engaged. I just don't feel that and experience that. Why? Because sin is not bitter to you. You are content feeding on the scraps of the world when infinite joy is offered to you in Jesus Christ, but you can't experience it because you're too full of that junk. Listen, I say this because I struggle with this too. It's, it's just, it's the stuff of everyday life, the stuff that we consume on a daily basis that takes the place of Jesus Christ in our hearts and lives. It's the things that distract us from him. Until sin be bitter, Christ will not be sweet. And so consider this at this moment. Is Christ sweet to you right now? Is Christ as sweet as you want him to be in your own heart this Christmas season? If not, then consider that thought. Until sin be bitter, Christ will not be sweet. But listen, this morning these are things that would hinder our joy, but also there are things that can increase our joy. Do, do we know that? Do we believe that? Do we understand that? Okay. In one sense, we are powerless to just get joy. I can't just say to myself, okay, self, be joyful, and then all of a sudden I'm radiating with joy. It doesn't work that way. 
Does it work that way for anyone else? No, I don't think so. Okay, nobody answered on that one. So does it work that way for any of you? No, okay, good. All right, I'm not alone. Okay, it's like when you're in your home, and I'm sure we all have these, we have a little sign that we put out at Christmas time that says joy on it, okay? When you're not joyful, what is your reaction to that sign when you see it? When you see that sign, do you, do you look at it and say, oh, I should really be joyful? Okay, I'm just gonna take some time to be joyful. No, I wanna smash that thing. <laughs> Why? Because it's pointing to the reality that I am powerless to accomplish and that it's a problem in my life. Do we get that? Yeah, because we look at that thing and it says be joyful and you say I can't be joyful because of this circumstance right now. That is true on one hand. But on the other hand, God is very clear. There are things that we can do to cultivate joy in our lives. It's like the farmer who in the middle of the winter thinks about planting his crop in the spring. And as he thinks about planting the crop, he realizes he is absolutely powerless to make that crop grow, correct? (laughs) He needs rain, he needs warm weather, he needs sun, he needs all of these different things, he needs right conditions. And as that farmer thinks about these things, he gets discouraged that he's powerless to do this. And he says, you know what, forget it. I'm not even gonna go out and plant the crop this year. I'm not even gonna go out and till up the ground. How ridiculous would that be? Absolutely ridiculous, but the farmer, the hardworking farmer goes out, he tills the ground, he plants the crop, and then he relies on God for the increase. It's the same thing in our spiritual lives with joy. Think about that, take that principle, okay? We can cultivate the ground by God's grace. We can plant the crop, but only God can give the increase, okay? And so let's look at these things. A few things, we're gonna bring them up on the screen pretty quickly. These are six things that will cultivate our joy in Jesus Christ. How do we cultivate joy? Right here, first of all, remember God's great mercy. Remember God's great mercy. Take time to dwell on that. Take time this Christmas season to meditate on how merciful God has been to you. If you want a great place to start, just go back a few verses in this passage to the beginning of chapter one and read about the great mercy that God has shown. Take some time to really think about that and remember this thought. Though I am a great sinner, Jesus Christ is a great savior. That will cultivate joy in your heart. Though my sins are many, Christ's forgiveness is greater than them all. Wow. And then, out of that, out of that remembering, rejoice in your salvation. Rejoice in your salvation. Just to be honest, I think there's something in praising God with a loud voice in the quiet of your own room. I just, I just think there's something there. I think when those words, God, I thank you because you have saved me, come out of your mouth verbally, even when nobody is around from your heart, there's something powerful in that. I remember a little bit earlier this fall, I was coming back from breakfast uh, with a brother from our church that always is a real encouragement and a real challenge to me in my walk with Christ. And I was coming down um, Rockway Road, the road, I think it's 9th Avenue that runs by Rockway Golf Course, and it was fall, and the leaves were gorgeous, and you could see Toronto, and I was just like, wow, this is beautiful. And the thought hit me, as beautiful as this is, your salvation is way more beautiful, and I just lit up. (laughs) I'm saved. Like, if I were to die today, I'm saved in Jesus Christ. Wow, that is awesome. And it was just, wow, this overwhelming 
thought as I was driving down the road, and I didn't really snap out of it until I looked up into the rearview mirror and I saw the flashing lights behind me. So my only word of caution on that one is, if you're rejoicing in your salvation while driving your car, which is a good thing to do, keep an eye on your speedometer, okay? <laughs> but take time to really rejoice in your salvation. The fact that you are saved, that we are on our way to glory. Wow, what a source of joy. Third, preach the gospel to yourself continually. Preach the gospel to yourself continually till it takes root in your heart. Recite the gospel. If you don't know what to say, go back to a great gospel message that you've heard, listen to it, and then begin to say those things over to yourself. Dig into the scripture. Do a little study that says, what is salvation? How am I saved? Dig into that and read those verses over to yourself. Proclaim it to yourself until it takes root in your heart. There's a lot of joy to be had for us right there in that point. And then this, back to idols. Turn away from all known sin. You're not gonna have a heart that's full of joy in Jesus Christ while idols are on the throne. Turn away from all known sin. Say, no, I choose to willingly leave that behind. I'm not going there anymore. I'm putting safeguards in place. I'm gonna be accountable. I'm not going there. I am pursuing Christ and I am moving forward in this. I have repented of this sin. I've confessed it to the Lord and maybe to some brothers and sisters and then rejoice in Jesus Christ as you turn away from sin. And then on top of that, I would say invite others to pray with you and to care for you in that. It's always good to have brothers and sisters around us in these things, isn't it? You know, then we're accountable, then we're out there, we're open, we're honest with them and we have someone to pray for us. And then last, and this one seems to always fire my heart up the most, I think, share, share the good news of the gospel. I can't explain it, but when I get the opportunity which I get often, um, but when I share the gospel with someone, especially when I'm not expecting it, okay, just some kind of random person and get the opportunity to share the gospel with them and share about why Jesus Christ is precious to me and what he has done in my life and what he is doing, that fires me up. Now, I'm just like you. I am shaky and nervous when that opportunity comes and my hands are wiggling and I'm all anxious on the inside, but there's something after that when you share Christ with somebody no matter how the conversation goes, you walk away fired up, don't you? You're like, yes, he's that great. Wow. And your joy is just going through the roof in those moments. And so share the gospel with somebody this Christmas. Maybe pick up an invite card. Instead of just giving the card, share with the person on the way. Hey, can I tell you about how I've met Jesus Christ? How he's the greatest gift that this world's ever known. How his presence changes everything. And just share a little bit with them about what Christ has done in your own life. Guaranteed, that will increase your joy. Listen, we've answered two things. We need to know, we need to know that the foundation of our joy is Jesus Christ. We need to realize, and in order to experience that joy, we need to remember that it is found in the person, the presence, the promises of Christ. But how do we show this joy? How do we show this joy to the world? We've already touched on that a little bit. Let me just say a couple things here. First of all, we'll notice in 1 Peter that Peter didn't tell them how to go about showing the joy, did he? He said, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory 
obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. He doesn't tell them, okay, now put on a smiley face and do this. He just says, if you're rejoicing in Christ, then this will be the outcome. Listen, it's the same for us today. If we are truly rejoicing in him, we won't need people to tell us how to show that joy, how to display that joy. We will display that joy. But let's say this. Point number three. Therefore, Therefore, I can joyfully trust Christ through difficult seasons as I anticipate eternity. That's our reality this morning. That even in the difficulties of life, even in the hard things that we face, we can joyfully trust Christ. We can believe in him. We can have faith in him through the difficult seasons as we anticipate a much better day as we anticipate the day when we will spend eternity with the Lord, when every tear will be wiped away, when every sorrow taken, when sin will no longer bind, and we will have freedom, true freedom in him. We anticipate that day. And as we do that, we can live with joy in Jesus Christ. Listen to what 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 through 18 says. This is maybe one of my favorite passages of Scripture. The Apostle Paul writes this, he says, So we do not lose heart. Though the outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Anybody feel that? Anybody feel that the outer self is wasting away? I do, and I'm only 38 years old. Yeah, it's wasting away. But look at the inner self is being renewed day by day for this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory that goes beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. They're passing away. But the things that are unseen are eternal. There it is. There's the recipe for joy in our lives. How do we show joy to others? We focus on Jesus Christ, we focus on his presence, and we focus on eternity with him, and we will radiate with joy in Jesus Christ even when we are in hard seasons. The Apostle Paul speaks of being sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. I want to know more of what that reality looks like. I want to know more about what this reality of joy inexpressible and filled with glory looks like. I was honest with you at the beginning of this sermon and I said that this was a hard week. It was a hard week in so many ways. But I did catch a pretty amazing glimpse of glory this week. A little glimpse that gave me a lot of depth into what this passage is talking about when it talks about joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. We can't explain it with our words fully. What does it mean to have joy that is inexpressible and full of glory? Well, this week, I watched on Facebook for a few moments as a young father buried his six-month-year-old son, six-month-old son. How incredibly hard that is. How incredibly devastating that is. But I watched as this father with trembling in his voice stood up with an open Bible and proclaimed the goodness of Jesus Christ. And as he said to that congregation, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And after he stood there with a hand lifted high and saying, great is thy faithfulness. That's a picture of what joy inexpressible and full of glory looks like. Another picture of that is the person who's 
on their second or third round of cancer. And this time the doctors have gone out of the way to make them know that it is terminal. And they've said, I don't try to get out from under this now. I know it's going to take my life, but I just want Jesus Christ to be magnified. I just want my loved ones to know the mercy that I have experienced. I just want those who are wandering to see him the way that I see him and love him the way that I love him. That's a picture of what joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory looks like. Another picture is a person kneeling on a beach in Syria with a blindfold over their head while their captor is there with a sword in hand. And the person that's kneeling is praying and calling out to the Lord for the salvation of the soul of the person who is about to behead them. That is a joy that is inexpressible and full of glory. I want that in my life.